Amen. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Yar will pass it out. Proverbs 29:18. If you do have a Bible, we'll just start there. We kind of advertised this Sunday as get to know your church. So God sent the ice rain. So if anyone had any problems with us, they're not here. Just kidding. Proverbs 29, 18. It's good to do this once a year. The leaders came together. We've restructured a few things. I'll talk about that later. But just to ground ourselves in what we're called to do, who we are. And even if you're not a part of church here, this can be an idea for your life. This, this is, I don't want you to say, oh, well, this is Northgate's, not me. This could be for everybody. But we do want to explain who we are, what we're doing. And maybe it will resonate with you wherever you go to church that... I just want to be a vessel used for Jesus Christ. Amen? It doesn't matter where we go to church. It doesn't matter who we are. We want to be used for Jesus, for God's glory, for His purposes on the earth. Proverbs 29.18 says this, Where there is no revelation, where there is no vision, the people cast off restraint. I'm sure you've heard that before. I've taught on that on a, on a midweek or that verse has, has come up multiple times. But the, the idea is very clear that I believe that when we see God, when we see his word, and even specifically he can lead us and give us vision to who he is and our direction in life, it's, it's so important to keep us on track, Right? Sometimes we meet people who have absolutely no vision of what truth is or no vision what they're supposed to be doing or no vision of anything and it just seems they lack any sort of umph in their life. I heard a story once of a young man who went to Bible college and he got through his first year and he got into his second year and he was in that Bible college and he started failing out and he wasn't doing well. And finally, the dean asked him to come into his office. And he said, what's going on? He said, well, I'm not really, I don't know. All these books and school and I, what am I doing? I don't know. So the dean very wisely asked him, well, why did you come here in the first place? What was your reason to come? He said, tell me your story. And he went back into his life and he started to share and be reminded Of what God had shown him and what God had called him to and what God had made him to be. And then finally the dean said, can't you see you've forgotten your vision? You've forgotten what God's called you to. And in that moment, I think that young man, things started to click because over time it's easy to forget why we're doing what we're doing. And sometimes we need to to go back and see what God has shown us, what God has said, to, to read our journals or to remember, why am I here? What am I doing? The neat thing about vision, too, is sometimes through God's Word or through the Holy Spirit, we have a picture of what God does, and it really encourages us when we don't see it completely built. And I think that's why architectures, when they're trying to sell drawing a building or making a building, a lot of times they make little models, right? And they say, this is what it can look like. And they bring out the model. And then the people are more likely to invest because they can see then what it's supposed to be. But if we have nothing to go on, nothing to think about, and we're just like, yeah, we're just heading forward and that's what we're doing and just join us. We just don't know what we're doing. It becomes a little difficult and confusing. And so I think vision and revelation is important so we don't cast off restraint. That we keep focused, that we keep centered in regards to that. And maybe some of you coming to this fellowship might be, well, what do we do? We meet on Sunday and what is supposed to happen? I thought, and we thought as leaders it would be a good time just to share a little bit about that. Well, Northgate, what type of church it is? Where did it come from? Amy and I, in New Jersey many years ago, I was a teacher. She was raising our many young children. (laughs) 
that point. We had a lot and fast. Um, but we were there for five years and I didn't really love teaching. The reason being is I knew there was another call and I was waiting for that. I did enjoy the age of teenagers, but when I had to teach a class of kindergarten for 20 minutes, I remember going to the classroom and shaking in my boots, here we go again, and chasing them and, follow Mr. Shelke. It wasn't necessarily what God had called me to do in New Jersey. We were serving in a church there that we had grown a lot in, and God was grabbing our hearts again and again to his truth and his love and his grace. And I remember as we became more comfortable with the church, even though I wasn't completely comfortable with my job, we loved the people we were around, and we were just getting comfortable after five years. You know, after change, it takes you a couple years. Year one stinks, year two, change is harder, year three. But then year five, I can remember going to church, being very comfortable in the church, And just the nudge of the Holy Spirit and the call, most clearly in my heart, that God wanted us to come back to Canada to share what we had experienced in the truth of his word and the power of his grace. And I remember thinking, I just got comfortable here. I don't know if you ever felt like that. But God had another plan, so in my mind I thought it would be in a year or two, but it wasn't four five more years and the church that we were a part of sensed that we were called into ministry and trained us and said get out the door get going we don't have to deal with you anymore no just kidding totally supportive and so then we packed up our kids all our stuff we had absolutely nothing and we didn't really know too much but we knew God had called us and our first stop was Silver Lake and this idea of somehow planting a church, this idea that God had showed us about himself, the call he had put on our lives. And one thing that was very clear to us is discipleship was a key to ministry. That as we grew and were discipled, it impacted us in such a way that we grew that we wanted to disciple others in the truth of Jesus Christ. And we really had young people on our heart. So lovingly, my parents offered us their cottage at Silver Lake. And we stormed in with our six kids, our stuff, no money, nothing. And I can remember those first two years were absolutely incredibly miserable. You ever had times like that in your life? We thought we'd put up a sign and like New Jersey, 300 people, 400, 500 would come. We couldn't attract a mosquito to a Bible study, and there's a lot of mosquitoes in Maberly. But we persisted, and God continued to encourage us. We didn't know where to start. We started to have young people to come to be discipled that seemed to come first. But the call to plant a church was still there. We didn't know where or how or when. But after about eight, ten months, we felt it was time to start here in Perth. We felt the Lord's leading to do that. And some would ask us, why another church in Perth? I said, I have no idea. I'm just trying to follow the Lord. I have no idea. And I had a friend say to me, don't listen to them. There could be a church on every corner because there's enough people who don't know Jesus Christ. And so we were encouraged. And we started here at Farrell Hall. Started in the basement. We didn't have a sign. We didn't have anything. Uh, We had this call. And yeah, four people came. (laughs) Two were my parents. They lived in Ottawa, and they felt sorry for us. (laughs) I think Arthur was in the early days, and Wayne and Judith. But we had this passion because God really wanted us to come. And one of the things the Lord had shown me specifically before we came was, what is the purpose of a church? What was the purpose of a new church? Why were we to be different? And as our church supported us in the things we experienced, which I'll talk about in a minute, the one thing I think God specifically showed me is God really wanted to wake fish who are dying. And fish being Christians, and I can remember being at a conference sitting on the edge of the Chesapeake Bay in Maryland, and 
It was teaching after teaching, and I was a little tired, so I went outside, and I went and sat on a rock, and I said, Lord, I just want to be with you. And the worst smell came, and it was a dead fish floating. And I'm like, that's disgusting, right? And I just felt the Lord say, stay here. And I'm like, why? And then I just had these words so clearly, I've called you through my truth, and through my love to wake up dead fish. It wasn't me who was going to wake him up. It was God. But his call was to bring him to encourage fish that were dying to come alive. You see, I'm not an evangelist, but I do have a little bit of discipleship in me. And I think that empowered me to say, if there was just a handful of people that would come, and would be ignited who knew the Lord, but would see and grow in the truth of His Word, and the power of His Spirit, anything could happen. And unfortunately, the reality in New Jersey, it is with Canada, there's, there's many Christians who aren't alive, who are just going through the motions, just because tradition or life. And I really felt that that coming alive would come through discipleship. And then I got the logo in my head. Ministering through discipleship. Well, Jesus called to make disciples, so I thought that was a good idea. And we came and we started with the four people, and our church supported and gave us covering in New Jersey. It was a Calvary Chapel. It was a wonderful experience in terms of how they supported us financially and spiritually, and they were always with us. But it was lonely. It was lonely, especially in those first couple of years, because you left your friends, you had to make new friends. But as God started to move, he started to bring people. And the vision of seeing a fellowship engaged in the truth of his word and the power of his spirit in little pockets of light, you started to see it. And you started to see growth. And it became less and less about us and more and more about the body. Amen. Because that's what it should be. But that constant vision and thought to the heart of the ministry was always there. Discipleship. And that in-reach will always lead to outreach. And there are many churches that have different visions and different purposes. There's some churches who say, our purpose is evangelism. That's what we're here for. Or our church is for the poor. Or our church is all about prayer. Or our emphasis is all the word of God. Or our church is the, for the unreached. Or what, however you want to fill it in. And I think the vision that was continually put upon us was, Northgate was called to create an environment to glorify God, that people would be encouraged and exhorted and edified as they came together, they would come alive and God would give them vision to go out and do the work of the ministry. We really believe, and God has shown even over the years here, the work of the ministry is not the work of the pastor or the leaders, or the elders. The work of the ministry is the body of Christ. And we see that very clearly in Ephesians chapter 4, where it says that the leaders, the offices, the pastor, the teacher, the evangelist, is just to equip the body to do the work of the ministry. So who are the ministers here? It should be all of you. Who should be the missionaries? It should be all of you. Who should be the prayer warriors? It should be all of you. Who should do visitation? It should be all of you. Who should be reaching out when someone's sick? It should be all of you. It should be me too, because I'm a part of you, right? But just think about that. Doesn't it make so much sense in God's kingdom that one or two or three wouldn't do all the work, but 50 or 60? And think of the, the, the potential to reach people if everybody was growing and using their gift 
being equipped by truth in the Spirit to serve one another, and more importantly, to serve the community. The problem is, if we're not growing inside, we don't do anything on the outside. Do I hear an amen? If you're dead here, spiritually, you're not thinking about witnessing to your friends. You're not thinking about loving your community. You're not thinking about what God's vision is for you. You're thinking about why you're so miserable. And you're thinking about yourself and money. And I think we all could say we've all been there. But if we can be a part of a church wherever we are, and it doesn't even have to be Northgate, or a body of believers, or people that we meet with, where we are encouraged by the truth of God's word and the power of his spirit, and we come alive as we leave those doors, it won't be a have to, it will be a natural flow of who we are. Folks, that's the church, amen? The church isn't meeting together on a Sunday. The church is the people working together to serve the Lord and each other. And then it will explode and we come together. We're just creating this environment where God can speak to us through his truth. You see, the vision is always in reach because it always leads to outreach. What did the disciples say in Acts chapter 4 when they were out there witnessing and the Pharisees are like, you guys don't know anything, but shoot, there's something different about you. And the Pharisees said, we could tell you've been with Jesus. And when you've been with Jesus, you're changed. When you know you're forgiven, you don't want to engage in sin. You want to serve one another, right? I believe that's what church is. We gather together to glorify God, to be equipped to do the work of the ministry. Does it say in Hebrews, let us gather together. Don't forsake the gathering of the saints. Because in it, you're encouraging each other to do good things. What else? You keep yourself accountable. You're not there for three weeks. Maybe someone who always sits next to you in church says, Hey, I haven't seen you for three weeks. I'm going to text him or call him. What's going on? Are you okay? Well, I didn't do it. I thought the pastor would do it. The pastor's worried about his own nine kids. But we're a body. We work together. Amen? And that's what we're called to do. And as we, we come alive, as we see Christ, we'll grow. That environment, just quickly, I just want to mention five things that we're trying to create or how we create that environment of growth and dead fish coming alive. First and foremost, everything is about Jesus. Amen? We're not here, we're not here taking surveys. We're not here trying to... Uh, the concerts are good, but listen, why we gather is Jesus. We gather here to worship God and magnify Jesus. Colossians 1.18 makes it very clear that he is to have all of the preeminence. Amen. It is all about Jesus. And I want to take that a step further as we gather and understand our identity is in Christ. He will change us and grace changes lives. Amen. If someone comes up here, me, it's like, you didn't do that, you didn't do that. I can't believe you. And you? Shoo! I saw you on your cell phone too much this week. It's not about rules that doesn't engage people to grow. What engages people to grow and have freedom and power is an understanding of the truth of God's grace. And let's stop that. Do you know it this morning? Are you living in a legal relationship with God? Are you living in your identity that he has forgiven you? He has empowered you. He has given you everything you need. He lives in you. And you are called to worship the one who has changed your life. What is Northgate about? It's about Jesus. What about the name? Who cares about the name? Some prophecy from Ezekiel 44. We can get to that later. But first and foremost, we're about Jesus Christ. He is the center of everything we do because he changes lives. And that freedom he brings, when you're not trying to serve anyone else but him, is incredible. My life was changed by grace. Everyone's life is changed by grace. And when your identity is truly in him, You're serving no one else but your master. This morning, do you understand grace like Titus chapter 3 says? It's appeared to all men giving you salvation. And it empowers you to live a holy life. Because when you know you're forgiven and you're loved, you'll do anything. Amen? 
When you know who Jesus is and all the junk and the slime is wiped away, it changes you forever. Have you experienced his grace? I don't care if you've experienced church. I don't care if you experienced outreach. I want to ask you this morning, have you experienced Jesus? And we come here to celebrate him. Well, how do we do that? That's the second point to create this environment. It's through the teaching and preaching and the encouragement of God's word. There is one truth. Amen? And that's the truth of God's word. And we believe that this book is completely accurate. And if we engage in it and teach it and read it and preach it and do Bible studies on it, that our lives will be changed You see, it's a two-edged sword that cuts right into us through the power of the Holy Spirit to understand our convictions and where we're at. That's what God's Word does. And I want to encourage you that these can be things in your life. Your life first has to be about Jesus. But secondly, you will be lost without truth. And the Word of God says very clearly in Psalm 119, we are revived by the book of the law. We are revived by the truth of God's Word. When we are down, it lifts us up. When we are up, it shows us Christ. But it's a consistent desire to know this book. This book isn't a textbook. This book isn't an academic book. This book is alive. This book will speak to you. And we want to clearly say, we believe this is 100% truth. And if we will stake our lives on it and live it, things will change around us. The first thing to change is us. I don't read this for academic knowledge. I read this for experiencing God's truth. There are so many times in my life where I've picked up this book and had a question of something I had to decide, and my daily reading spoke to me personally. There's so many times where I've preached this word in this building, at that door, people leaving, where people would say to me, how did you know what I was going through? And I say, I had no clue. (laughs) But the truth of God's word had a clue. And with the culture that is constantly shifting and changing, we need an anchor that will hold us sure. Number three, how do we come alive? Jesus, his word, number three, what we try to create here is an emphasis on the power of prayer. Amen? Amen. Do we believe it? And not to get back into team 20, but (laughs) over the course of time, I think we could all say, That prayer is the most difficult thing to do. I think we would all say that it's easier to read than it is to engage in active labor in praying. But we have these promises that are true in God's word. If you will pray according to my will in 1 John 5, God says, I will hear you and I will answer. Do you hear me? I have something in my life. I'm just engaged in this sin. I can't change it. Are you praying? I have these neighbors. I want opportunities. Are you praying? No, I mean really praying. 1 Timothy chapter 2, just in a picture of church, says this very clearly. First of all, there should be supplication and prayer in church. I don't necessarily mean a church service. We try to pray. In the last couple of weeks, we've had corporate times of prayer. But as a body, we should always be praying because God promises to answer. And as a church, that's why we have a prayer house. That's why we have a prayer room. And that's why we want to be praying at home. Amen. There have been so many times and so many stories, and I don't have time today, where God has revealed stuff through prayer to people in this body that gave us vision for the future, that directed us in what we were supposed to do.
There have been times when leaders and Bible studies have gathered to pray when people were sick, where we have seen God work in miraculous ways. And it has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with him. And prayer is a gift. And it will engage us and change us if we will choose to devote ourselves to it. A church that prays is a church that will change its community. Because what we're doing is like going around the walls of Jericho. We're praying and the walls will come down. And we're asking God for the faith than to go in. Maybe there's walls in your life. Are you praying them down? Are you believing? And are you asking God for the faith when he takes them down to step into the enemy? There's a spiritual battle going on and our greatest weapon is prayer. Are we using it? Are we picking it up? Is it the atmosphere? Are we doing it without ceasing? And this is in no way meant to be condemning but encouraging. It's like me saying, I have the greatest gift for the kingdom of God for you to change your community. Here it is. Oh, man, you mean I got to work at it? (laughs) It's a gift, but I got to do it? (laughs) Let me encourage you. It is very difficult sometimes when we don't see the results in our time. But if we will continue to persevere because Jesus said, you got to keep at it. And that's why he gave a parable about keeping persistent in prayer. Remember the widow and the unrighteous judge? She kept begging and begging and begging and begging and begging and begging and begging. And Jesus said that to say, that's how we need to be. Amen. prayer room, prayer house, praying families, praying church means change. Number four, we totally believe that life comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. If we are empowered, listening, and walking in the Spirit, we will see fruit. I've done a lot of things in my own strength that I thought that were good ideas, and you know where they got me? Just simply exhausted. But if we are operating in the truth and the power of the Holy Spirit, and we have lives that are controlled by the Spirit, we're listening to God and acting in faith, we're operating in the gifts and the fruit of the Spirit, we will see growth. You cannot do it yourself. It is not us. It is not our ability. It's not who can sing or who can preach. It's not about our community programs. It is simply about getting in step with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit speaks to us and nudges us and directs us. And if we will go His way, we will see His fruit. People come to me and they say to me, how did you do all that stuff with refugees? What a great idea. I'm like, I didn't have that idea. I didn't know nothing about refugees. We didn't know anything about refugees. And when God brought them to our doorstep, we were all, we were all like, what do we do with them? But the Holy Spirit was directing us and leading us miraculously. Discipleship, homes and discipleship the voice of the Spirit and speaking to people to come, to go, and just getting on His plan, doing it His way, taking time to pray, to hear from Him, to know that it's Him working in us. You know what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1? You have the greatest power of all. It lives in you. It is the power of the Holy Spirit. You have the power, the same power that raised Christ from the dead that lives in you. So instead of living in poverty, you should live like a prince or a princess, knowing who lives in you, and it's faith in believing and being in step with a God that loves you so much that he lives in you. And if you will trust him and walk with him, you will come alive. But so often we're doing it in our own strength, our own intellectual 
ability, our own perception, our own truth, instead of simply being empowered by Him and saying, it's not me, be ye being filled by the Holy Spirit, singing songs of praise, and walking, walk in the Spirit that you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. It is all Him in you and simply you submitting, being in step and going away from what you want or what you think to what you know He has said in His truth, in His Word, and to you personally. Are you walking with the Spirit? Are you asking for Him to completely control you? And filled with the Spirit is the same idea of being intoxicated. You're not in your control. You're in God's control. Is that how you're living? Man, we want a church that is empowered by the Holy Spirit. That when people enter through those doors, they will see that there is something greater than us speaking to them. This book, empowered by the Spirit, changes lives. Lives that will pray, empowered by the Spirit, will change a community. Finally, go, go, go. We got to get people doing things. And we have to tell people to do things. You know, the Word of God says very clearly here, number five, pray for the laborers. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are... What are you doing? (laughs) Where are you going? Blank. Make disciples. It says, go. Amen. Go make disciples. Where go? The moment you leave those doors, you are going into the mission field. What is God's vision for you? Go, go, go. By the way, it is not our job to hold on to anybody. But if someone's called to something here or somewhere else, you know what our first response should be? Go do it. Go do it. We support you. We want to be behind it. I'm supposed to go to Africa. Go. I'm supposed to go to Smith Falls. Go. I'm supposed to go to Lanark. Praise the Lord. I'm going to Maverly. Well, I was there. Good luck. (laughs) I'm just joking. But we are called not only to encourage people to be active and go for God's kingdom, but to pray for, for people to go. You know what a shot it is in the arm when we see young people and older people going out and doing things for the Lord? It's absolutely incredible. Ascending church is a growing church. And it doesn't matter to what. What are you called to? When you leave those doors, what are you called to? We want to support it. And we want to say, go make disciples. Kids in school, go make disciples. I don't care what grade you're in. Elderly, in your houses, wherever you are, go and make disciples. By the way, the commandment there in Matthew doesn't have an age attachment between 32 and 60. It's to everyone, amen. And as a church, as we're sending and sending and supporting, God will cause growth and cause life. And we need life to come alive to do what he's called us to do. Okay, that's it. Established by God, I believe. Church growing, body of Christ doing the work of the ministry. Five things. One last thing. I tell this story a lot, but what is your vision for the future? Our vision is to see Lanark County changed for Jesus Christ. To see Lanark County be a place where people come in, experience God, grow, and are sent out all over the world. We believe revival's coming. You know, every pastor believes revival's coming, or you're not a good pastor. If you don't want to see growth, why are you in the business, right? If you don't want to see people changed, why are you doing it? That we came here with the promise of revival. I could have stayed in New Jersey. It was a little bit warmer. Well, there's a lot of people. But anyways, I remember coming very clearly and feeling God had promised revival, both Amy and myself. Year seven. Okay, Lord. Getting a little discouraged. Was that us? Everybody wants to be successful in what they do, right? Was that us? We're happy with what you give us, Lord, but is there something more, something more? 
Amy had wisdom. Well, if it was really God, why don't we pray? We prayed that night, a little frustrated maybe, wondering if we had manipulated things for our own benefit and waiting and waiting and being discouraged. And we simply prayed, Lord, if you truly have called for revival in Lanark County, would you confirm that to us? Would you truly show us? It was the next morning I arrived here at church. I checked my email. My father-in-law sent me an email. My father-in-law never emails me, unless it's about a chainsaw or a vacation. He said he had a dream. He said old men dream dreams. He's never told me any of his dreams. He said, Dan, I woke up this morning at 6.30. I had to tell you about my dream. Of course, when someone has a dream about you, woo, I hope it's good. But just remember that night, probably around 11.30 at night, I prayed with Amy. God, is this really you? Did you really want revival here? Are we manipulating this? And in that email of that dream, simply said at a family gathering, someone asked, how's the work going in Perth? And and the response, thousand. And at the bottom, I could care less about the number, was the word, there will be a harvest of souls in Perth. My wife didn't wait till I fell asleep, call her dad, dad, Dan's really discouraged tonight. Son of an email. That was Jesus Christ speaking to us to keep faithful that he has vision through his work to change a community for him. And I don't know when and how drips and drabs are all at once, but he's going to do it. Amen. And we have that vision before us. We have that truth. And now, instead of getting confused or discouraged, we need to grab hold of that model that's been presented and say, let's go. But who's going to do the work? It's the Holy Spirit through the body of Christ. It's through you. It's through you. It's through me. Since that time, many times people have come to me and said they've had visions of revival and change. I I have them all here in my journals. More than five, more than ten people. Just I was praying and I saw a river coming through this area, a river of God's glory. And of course, when, 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 God? But that's not the question. The question is, I trust you. Do I trust you? Do I believe you? Not looking at, oh, a few people left, a few people came. Who gives a rip? There's a bigger picture here, and it's God's work. And I don't care if people get saved and go to all different churches as long as they're walking with Jesus Christ, but may we be used as a church to awake dead fish to the truth of who God is, that they would go out and cause revival in our community. That's what we're called to be. What's your denomination? We love Jesus. We're not Baptist. We're not Pentecostal. We're not Calvary Chapel. We're nothing. We're Jesus lovers. Amen. And we fellowship with anyone who loves Jesus. And we want to be united for the power of God. We want to be united with Rito Christian, the Pentecostal. I think it's great here. We have Pentecostals and Baptists. We're like the only church that can do that because we don't say we're neither. neither. (laughs) I had a guy ask me this week, what are you? Like, are you Baptist conservative? Are you Pentecostal? Are you way out there? (laughs) I was like, I like to be a part of everybody's. Eat the meat, spit out the bones. I can be out there. I can be Baptist. I can be what you want if you want to come to church. (laughs) Just as long as it's about Jesus. But there is a structure here, and I just want to close with this. Some people might ask, I want to get involved. How can I get involved? We don't have membership here because we believe anyone in the body of Christ is a member of the body of Christ. We don't make you do that. We do have ministry applications if you're going to serve. If you're going to serve in any capacity, we want to know you and you want to know us. Because you might come here for three weeks and be like, I want to serve in the nursery. I want to be with the babies. And we're like, no, 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 no. Not until we know you. Or, I want to preach. I want to sing. Why don't you start with the toilets? Are you willing to do that? There's a lot of people who want to be up front. There's not too many people who want to come early and clean the toilets. What is leadership? 
leadership is truly serving and loving. But we do have a structure. The body of Christ does all the work, and then we have ministry overseers that oversees ministry, and then we have elders that oversee the ministry heads or leaders or bringing vision. So you might say, that, oh, I'd really like to get involved in kids, or I'd really like to get involved in helping with agapes, or I'd really like to get involved with young people, or I'd like to get involved with outreach. How do I do that? And just in the last two or three minutes, I want to just maybe some of them are here, and some they're not because of the ice storm and they couldn't get out of their house. But that, So you would know the structure. And you say, well, I do better reading what the structure is. We have that ready for you, too. It's online. It will be online this week. It's not there yet, but we, we worked on it. And so you can see, if you need it to be directed, worship. Who do I get involved? Who's in charge of worship? Or who's in charge of this or that? It will help you, and those people are responsible to make sure that if you want to serve, you've filled out a ministry application so that we know you and you know us. So when you come to serve, that we're all about this Jesus thing. Amen. So, I'll just go through some names, and maybe you're here. You can raise your hand. I better get my book so I don't forget anybody who is a little bit of an overseer in regards to the things of the ministry. Andy Clausen is with the kids. I wonder why. He is the kids' overseer. And praise the Lord, man. If you see Andy, Andy's been doing this for a long time. And it is hard, but he organizes. And when someone is sick or can't make it or needs to be filled in, Andy's downstairs or Jesse's downstairs loving our kids and teaching them about Jesus. But if you're interested in helping Andy, he would be really interested in getting to know you. Ushers, Lee Turco not here. He's uh, in the military, so he's away for a month. But uh, if you need his phone number, interested in ushering, ushering is just helping and loving the people who come through the door. Agape today, hospitality, Rebecca Doyon, if you can wave to us, if you want to help in any capacity, she's over there. Finances, who deals with the bookkeeping and are they trustworthy? I deal with all the money. Just kidding. I don't know anything really except at the end of the month what comes in, what goes out. Might sign a few checks, but in terms of taking the money in, paying the bills, you all know Dave Weckworth. He's not here because he's watching Ralph because the ice storm. He's the one who sent your receipts this week. If you've given to Northgate, he's emailed them. If you haven't got them, there's a letter attached, basically a little bit of our budget. So you, if you've given, know what we're giving to. But David would love to speak to you if there's anything in regards to that. Um, he's usually a tall guy, but we'll put his email and phone number there. But he's our bookkeeper. Worship, Randy, give him a big wave. Randy's here, not feeling well today, but even made it out. Jim, thankfully, came in, but Randy leads our worship, gives vision for our worship, and he has a lot of helpers. And our vision is not necessarily one person always singing, but people singing and worshiping Jesus Christ. And so if you're interested at all or have questions about Randy during the agape, please speak to him. Ladies' ministry. A little PowerPoint to Northgate Ladies Bible Study Intercessory Prayer. Um, leading that is my wife, Amy, if she could give a wave. And Wednesdays and Mondays together. So I mentioned Team 20 Prayer in the prayer room. Overseeing that is Leah Zardo, if she could give a wave. If you want to join Team 20, she would love to see you. Regards to that. Outreach. This is something new. Uh, Joe and Margie are teaching Sunday school downstairs, have a real heart for outreach. They had a gym day yesterday in Smith Falls where they invited families for the community. We do outreach events like the Santa Claus Parade, Maple Festival, praying for people, giving stuff out, doing different things. And their heart is to see more vision. They want to make it like a team. If you're interested in outreach at all, they'd love to speak to you today. And putting our faith into practice. Youth. We have no youth leader right now. We have youth leaders. Praise the Lord, right? Ten of them, but Kevin Hogan, raise your hand, is leading up with Jim and Sharon Connor, myself and Amy. But if you'd like to be a part of that, we'd love to see you because we can always have more leaders. 
Not today, but having an interest, Ken Gorham in seniors ministry, what can develop from ministering to seniors here and in our community because the ice and Ken lives 45 minutes away. But if he's here next week, he'd love to talk to you and have a meeting for those who are interested in ministering to seniors and seeing them as a super important role to our church. So Ken would love to see you with that. That gives you a little idea of people who do what? I'm your pastor. We try and teach God's word. Try and take a break every three or four weeks. And other people teach like Jim Tizik and others. And giving God's word in truth. So elders. We believe the elders oversee the, the overseers in terms of ministries. Making sure doctrine is correct. If there's spiritual battles or problems. Sometimes an elder isn't what you want to be. <laughs> yeah, it's great, but sometimes it's hard. It's difficult because you're encouraging people and dealing with crisis. But we do have spiritual elders in this place who would love to pray with you, who lead in different ways. So I am an elder, and I would just ask them to come forward so you know very clearly who they are because some people say, I don't know who the elders are here. Well, we want to make it aware so you do know now. This is something kind of new for our structure so you know very clearly. And we have um, two new elders and two, two guys who have been around for a while, maybe taking a little quieter step now in their older years, still praying and advising, but two active elders instead of me in our new structure and uh, one a board member. And so we'll just ask Mike to come up, Mike Sparrow who is on the board at Northgate, because we have a board as well that oversees all the ministry financially, government, rules, all that. We love to talk about Jesus, but we have rules in this nation. Amen? So our board, uh, which is two members who are outside, who are overseeing us as well, Pastor Chris McCarrick in New Jersey, Pastor Andy Fuller in Ottawa, and Mike and myself are a part of the board. And Mike and I are elders in regards to field the questions they might have to all finances, setting budgets, um, direction. If we're absolutely crazy, <laughs> they might be like, slow down. Um, we all need a covering, amen? And so you know that we're not alone. So another elder is Kevin Hogan. Kevin, come up, involved in youth, in children's ministry, and actively... Pursuing people. So these three guys are your active elders. We'd love to talk to you, pray with you, uh, to be with you, to direct you in any way possible. Now, we believe that white hair, gray hair, what does the proverb say? Is wisdom. So we want some wisdom, right? And we have uh, two men that you know well who have been in the battle for a long time and we are so happy to have them to be a part so we can consult them and ask them and they can be in active ministry as well though a little more limited because of age so bob cameron if bob would come up you all know bob usually in the back and uh and my father valdemar <laughs> shilke so i just want to introduce so you know that these guys are responsible to keep the vision, to minister to you, and to direct you. And if there's any questions you might have, any problems, you don't have to see me. You can see them. If you want to see me, that's great. But they would love to talk to you as well in, in any way. But this is more communication. This is who we are. This is what we believe the scriptures say. Offices, elders, servants, deacons, working together, and many people would come to know Jesus. So I've just asked Mike, as a board representative, to close our service with prayer. And then we'll go and get our kids and eat our lunch. Amen? Dear Father, thank you that you're in control of everything, that you are sovereign. We can see around us uh, our country, other countries turning against you. 
we see society often moving away from you, but uh, your word says that when nations conspire against you, when they plot against you, our Lord in heaven laughs. They can't do anything against your plans. And so we take comfort that you're in control. And dear Father, too, we know that uh, we all have problems in our own personal lives, that uh, you haven't promised any of us an easy life, that we have challenges and uh, temptations and fears and trials. But we know that you love us, and we know that uh, your heart is to draw each of us closer to you, to make us all more in the image of Christ. And the trials are part of that. But as Dan taught, we know that we can't get these through these trials on our own, and that our hope and that our secret is that we have access to your power, and that each one of us can be filled with your Holy Spirit and to draw on your Holy Spirit and your power and your strength and abilities that aren't our own. And to do this, we just have to yield to you. We have to give you our fears, give you our pride, give you our wants, and allow you to control our lives. And that's what we pray for each one of us, that we don't act in our power and our strength, but that you will fill each one of us that will make an impact on the community around us. That people will see something at work in us that's not of ourselves. So I pray for each person here. Uh, I pray that you'll empower them, that multiple ministries will develop, that uh, you'll just inspire people. You've usually put on each person's heart things that they would like to see happen, people that they would like to reach. And just I pray that you'll embolden us, empower us here, that we'll reach out in many different ways to impact the community for you. And so that you get all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing one last song, but parents, go get your kids so they can worship with you. And then we'll eat. If you didn't bring any food you want to stay, please stay. The Lord will multiply. We just want to gather together. Parents, get your kids. Let's worship together. If you need prayer for anything, there'll be leaders in the back willing to pray for you. Let's stand together.